Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we're talking about Sound of Metal today. Yeah. It's about a drummer played by Riz Ahmed who plays in a very, very loud band with his girlfriend uh, played by Olivia Cook, mm. and he very suddenly loses his hearing. Yeah. Loses a lot of his hearing. Not completely. His hearing is muffled and the sound design really puts you in his shoes. Mm. And the questions start to arise of how's he going to do his job? How's he going to live? How's he going to get on? Can he get his hearing back? Can he get this cochlear implant that comes up? And what's he going to do? How's he going to cope with this? I... I suppose I was. Ex- I didn't know much about it. I just knew it was the Deaf Drummer movie, and I knew that Riz Ahmed was getting a lot of good press for it and the Oscar nominations and things. I suppose I was expecting it to be like hella depressing, and I was thrilled to find out that it wasn't. It does go into melodrama, and it's not the happiest film in some sense, but it's also there's a lot of jokes. There's a sense of community when he joins the Deaf community. Mm. I mostly really enjoyed it. I didn't like it at all. Well, no, like you said, there are elements, mm-hmm. you know, that are attractive. I mean, you know, the first shots of Riz Ahmed, I thought, my God, he's so beautiful in a way that I hadn't quite, you know, seen him. Um, With his tattoos and his frosted tips and his worked out body. His tits and, you know, the veins in his shoulders. It's like he, had, he didn't have an ounce of fat. And, you know, the scenes with the deaf children, I kind of... You know, I like the tapping on the um, slides. Mm. I love Mathieu Almaric. So it's not... It's a film that I I only saw anyway because Riz Ahmed was nominated for the Oscar, right? It's the kind of film that I would stay away from. I hate film... I hate heavy metal. I hate films about heavy metal. And I hate these middle-brow-worthy, you know, uh, let's deal with deafness or blindness or cancer type of films. So I would have <laughs> fled from it, you know, if not, yeah, the kind of... We're making a project out of seeing Oscar-nominated films. It didn't really confound my expectations. I think Riz Ahmed is wonderful, and he's the reason to see the film. And I hated many things about the film. Mm. Uh, though, you know, I I liked the whole deaf community thing. I loved the actor who played uh, the veteran. Uh, what's his name? Paul Racy. Yeah, he was wonderful, and I think he should have been nominated for something. Uh he has been, actually. Critics, Critics' Choice Awards and so on. Uh, he's wonderful. But I think there's something... And, and at the Academy Awards. Oh, okay. Best Supporting Actor. Right. It's got six Oscar noms. Right, okay. So he definitely deserves one. So there are reasons to see the film. I still think that the central tenet of it is a little bit dishonest. Yeah. So, there's the si- so he goes deaf, he can't cope with it, he feels his life is over... And then he goes to this deaf community, which is a whole community, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, teachers, children, addicts, you know, kind of... Yeah, so the community is specifically for uh, recovering addicts who are also deaf. And then the school children, I think they work with them, but they're not, they don't live with them because it's his house they live in. Mm-hmm. And he has to like give up his girlfriend while he's there. He can't communicate with them, can't do anything. You know, so he has to kind of join this kind of minor cult, in a sense, almost. Yes, and I think it is, it is a cult in my view, and it's one that the film doesn't distance itself from. It buys into this message. And it's the message that Paul Racy gives us a speech saying that the bottom line in this community is that there's absolutely nothing wrong with being deaf. Mm -hmm. And the act of attempting to gain hearing is 
a direct attack on that basic principle and therefore he must leave this community. I think that's absurd. Well, I think deafness is you know a wide world and I think there are probably people who do feel that way and people who don't. Um, this is you know, this man thinks one way and you know it is very harsh when Riz Ahmed gets the money together to get this cochlear implant and uh, the leader asks him to leave. It is very harsh and you said so at the time. God, that doesn't he have a heart? Yes. You know. Um, it didn't strike me as unrealistic. It struck me as harsh. Well, it struck me as both harsh and and dishonest because, I mean, it's not that there's there's anything wrong with deaf people for being deaf, uh, and I don't think that you know people should be discriminated or whatever, you know. But if one had the opportunity of getting hearing, yeah, which uh, uh, the uh, resume character has, then why shouldn't one go for it? I don't understand it. Because it's it's a community. I mean, just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's not a thing. It's a community, and no, but I think the film should explain it. I mean, I think sure. it should be legible to me as a viewer, right? Rather than mm. you know just putting me in a position where I dismiss this without understanding. I I'm, think it's a failure in the film. I'm not. Sh- I didn't feel the the film just kind of asserted it without showing it. I mean, you you've seen before this many many minutes and many scenes of the community being a community no, let, let me, about deafness and... Let me try to explain myself, maybe, you know, or, or attempt to. Let's say, you know, somebody gets their legs blown off mm. in, you know, Vietnam. Well, you know, kind of, there's nothing wrong, wrong with the person for not having legs and they shouldn't be discriminated against. But actually, if they can get, you know, those, uh, um, how do you call yeah, those? Blades up? or whatever. Blades. Then why shouldn't they? Well, I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm saying that deafness, there is a deaf community and it's not quite as simple as getting your legs blown off and wanting to be able to walk better again. It's, it's you know, I mean, I, I just, I, and I think the film does dramatise how deafness operates as part of your life and can put you into a community. I think it dramatised that. It made me. It made that legible to me. Okay. Well, um, I mean, the fact that it is a community and that it can be, uh, you know, and that deaf people can um, get on in the world and all of that, I understand. But you know, the central premise, or or assuming that just because there's nothing wrong with being deaf, one mustn't try to get hearing when it is available to you. Mm. That I don't understand the move from one to the other. Sure, I don't think it's the film criticising that, it's the character criticising that, it's the leader criticising that, and the, the other part of it is when Riz Ahmed is, he, he says he sold his RV, the $26,000 he's got for the RV to pay for this cochlear implant, and then he asks him for money, and the guy says, you're acting like an addict again, this is, the, this is working around it. So that, I think that's part of his, at least it, it read as clear to me, that that's part of his sort of calculation in, I can't have you in this community. Well, no. I mean, that, that, um, I mean, there are many aspects of that that I got. I mean, I understand mm-hmm. that. And I also do think that it was the mentality of an addict, right? It was like an, an impossible decision made right away. And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, for reasons uh, uh, that have to do with getting back to his girlfriend and so on. So, you know, that I understand. But having him leave right then, you know, and you, you, you've been told that, he sold off his his car. He's paid for the operation. He presumably has no money and nowhere to go, mm. right? Um, it, it seemed incredibly heartless to me. It is harsh. I agree with that. Um, 
And then also, I didn't understand then how he could get to Paris. You see, that was the other thing. So, yeah. you know, because the film makes you feel that this guy now has no money, no home, is homeless in the countryside in America, where it's probably, you know, just hundreds of miles from anywhere. I'm so, not sure that it was explained, but I think, uh, uh, well, my assumption, at least, probably after the fact, was that uh, the girlfriend's dad paid for it, because the girlfriend's dad is loaded, and that's where he's going. That's Matthew Amalric. Yeah, I know, but... So, well, but, I mean, it's not explained, I don't it's think. It's not explained, so... Uh, that is skipped over. The problem I had was not with, uh, as, as goes the, the representation of deafness or the deaf community, and I'm not part of the deaf community or anything like that, but I, you know, I've read a little bit here and there mm-hmm. about it. Um, the trouble I had was was not with the portrayal of the community, but with the cochlear implant stuff. So the the last act of the film, he gets his implant, and it's not what he expects, right? You no. think, oh, him's just going to come back, great, I can get back to my life. Yeah. And it's not. The sound is distorted, it's very hard to make out what people are saying. You know, the, the, the uh, audiologists working with him go through all these settings and... Uh, you know, none of them is quite right, and then she just kind of sends him out the door like, "There's your lot," you know. And I just think that's not how it works, right? No, like it's it a process. And I get the sense it's, very, it's a very realistic impression of what it's like to have it turned on, you yes. know. But then it's a learning process after that, right? You have to go through weeks and weeks of adjusting to it and get and learning what this, what the noise of this thing makes are. Yeah, you know, and to translate the film, those sounds in your head. Exactly, too. like your, your 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 brain has to learn that. And there's no sense of the length of time that it takes or anything like that. You don't really have a sense of how long the characters live with this implant. So by the final scene of the film, where he's in a park and he's surrounded by noise and it's distorted and it's loud and the bells are going and he just takes off the implant and goes to complete silence. And he seems... Well, the film leaves him in an ambiguous place, right? The the expression on his face is completely blank. He's maybe achieved some sort of peace, but the impression, to me at least, in those final few shots was that it's temporary, right? It's like, just for right now, I need a bit of silence. But it didn't to me me say, I'm not putting the cochlear implant back in. It's the end of the film. And actually, I think this is part of why I don't like the film because I think it's a muddled ending so you know one thing you can take away from it is that he accepts his deafness and it's better to be deaf you know than to have all that noise in your head that is nothing like you know what normal hearing is you know but then I think if that's the case then the film gets its message muddled because you know it's not a question of it's better you know it's it's better to be deaf than to hear, which is you know one of the arguments it's 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 positing, yeah, halfway through the film. It's just it's better to be deaf than to hear that distortive cacophony of sound in your head all the time in a way mm. that drives you crazy, right? So it's not necessar- necessarily that he's accepted his deafness. It's just that he doesn't want that awful sound, right? So I think it's all muddled for me, and I don't like it. it like I say, it leaves him in an uncertain place um, and I don't think it's kind of making a statement exactly one way or the other I think if he had like a beatific smile on his face it would be you know it just doesn't do, <laughs> it doesn't do that right um, but like I said I, I, I think it would I think I think this film would put someone off getting a cochlear implant it would and that's really not I mean from what I understand they're good things well <laughs> you so know you or, see, or, at least, or, at least, or at least they work well for people you know so this is where I think the film is being dishonest about it really but I don't think that's because of the you know the way the deaf community might shun you. It's because of the way it portrays. Oh God, having a cochlear implant is hell. Well, I mean, if you accept that um, the racy character mm. is the voice of a posi- of a central position in the film, mm. 
they're not actually just saying that. They're saying, you know, your very attempts, you know, to get hearing are like an attack on what this community stands for. I mean, really? I, I kind of get what you mean, but I don't, I don't think it's reasonable to see his character as portraying deafness in general. I think it's, to me, it, it came across as quite clear that this, the, is, this is a there's particular no other, community. There's no other voice in the film. No, you, there isn't. But I still think it was clear that this is one particular guy running one particular community. Well, and he didn't speak for everybody. He spoke for his community. I think in the film he's speaking for everybody. He's <laughs> he is the one. So right, and it's because of that that I find it a problem. I mean, if he was one of many voices, because the film could have introduced another point of view easily. You know, mm. have another consultation, have another different point of view, but it doesn't. You know, so that yeah. is you know that carries that weight. So I don't like it. What I did like was Riz Ahmed. Yes. Uh, we last saw him, I think, together in uh, Venom, and we weren't that impressed with him. He was the villain, that, if yes. you remember, and he was a bit flat and stuff. Yeah. And actually, at the start of this, I was thinking, why is he playing American? He didn't need to. And then I realised, oh, it's because in America, like, if, if this happened in England, you just go to the NHS. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to sell your van. <laughs> although, although, to be fair, I do think it's another dishonesty, because I'm pretty sure cochlear implants are covered on pretty much all American private insurance. I have no idea. You know, I, I mean, I don't think it's like, you know, so this thing about you have to get 40 to 80 grand together to pay for this, I, that feels really strongly like, like an invention. Well, I mean, um, I, I don't know, but, but, you know, I was happy to go with that element. I mean... Sure. So there is definitely that, that aspect, like, oh, this, this, is, this is only in America. Can you tell this story, <laughs> you know? And his performance... And the way his character is written and the sound design work together really beautifully. I I, I wasn't completely convinced by the sound design. Well, if we describe the sound design, so I sort of said like you know it, it, it muffles the sound, and when you're kind of in his head and not hearing anything, mm-hmm. you really can't hear anything, and so conversations you 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 don't hear. And you know you always talk about performances being transparent, mm-hmm. emotionally transparent, and I felt every emotion he was feeling. I did too. And I think in combination with. You know the sound goes, and he loses it. Mm. And I don't know. I really, I really felt that strongly. And the same with with uh, Olivia Cook as well. And when the two of them are together, and they're they're splitting up, when she says, "I'm going," you have to stay at this yes. community. And they have that kind of tearful goodbye, and I love you. And I, I was practically in tears. I was, I, I loved it. I, oh, I okay. really felt the two of them. I did, I did too. But the moment that really got to me was the end, where he says, "You saved my life." You know, um, mm. what did they say? You made you saved my life and made it beautiful. Mm. I thought, oh. Yeah, it really touched me. Uh, both of them did. Uh, Talk to me about the sound design then, because you you don't like yeah. it. Yeah. So or... so you can see what the what what the sound design is doing, right? It's trying to give you a subjective point of view on what it feels like to hear and not hear, mm. right? But I thought that dramatically it got some of those moments muddled up, or or. Or, or, or the choices were not optimal. Mm. Yeah, in the sense that, you know, sometimes you're hearing the sound yeah, as a spectator and you're not sure whether the character is hearing it or not hearing it or whether it's subjective or not. I think the two things were sometimes clearly demarcated and sometimes not. And I'm not sure that the, when it wasn't clearly demarcated that it was a, an artistic decision, yeah, that you were meant to feel that way. I, 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 th- I thought it was completely obvious when sound was quote unquote objective and when it was 
you know, subjective to Riz Ahmed. It felt completely obvious to me. The sound was so different when you went back and forth between the two. Um, I, I just kind of took it that when sound was clear, then that wasn't Riz Ahmed's experience. You know, I didn't. Yeah, I, I, I didn't quite take it that way actually. Um, so, so there were moments where it's absolutely clear. There's no question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes almost like too clear. Yeah, like kind of <laughs> you know. Uh, the, the sound itself becomes like a, a, an obstacle. Well, something unpleasant to experience sure. in the film, yeah. right? Um, but there were moments where, where you know, I wasn't sure. So, for example, the moment of in the party, yeah, when he's talking to the father, and then later that evening, I mean, the moments where it becomes completely subjective, you understand, mm-hmm. right? Um, but there were moments where you're thinking. Is he now hearing this bit clearer? Yeah, or... Yeah. So I didn't take it, though, you know, I could very well be wrong because it's clearly been designed to the nth degree. I mean, every shot has clearly been designed by whether it's subjective or, yeah, whether mm. it, it's it's objective sound. Um, but, but I think the... Um, the expressive dimension of that hasn't been fully explored. So you, so that I feel you get the extremes very well, but the variations in between kind of not so much. That's, I suppose, my overall impression. Hmm. Um, I, I suppose I want to think about that scene that we've already discussed where um, the leader of the community asks him to leave because it also occurs to me that, you know, while the Paul Racy character is imperfect, hmm. um, so is Riz Ahmed. Right, like it's you know there is a suggestion as well that Riz Ahmed has not um, really understood the community that he's become part of in getting this implant. You know, so the so we just we were saying you know he said oh, why why is this all happening? Why is he doing this? Why is he selling his stuff? And I said well it's because he's seen this video of his girlfriend continuing to make music, but he couldn't hear it. Like mm. and he realised this is I'm losing her, I'm missing her. Yeah. Please get back. And the the sort of mini speech that he gives to the Paul Racy character before Paul Racy asks him to leave is, I found, an unconvincing speech. Mm. Like, you know, as, as in, were I listening to that character in real life, I would have said, you don't you don't actually really have... You can't back up what you're saying. You've made this, like as you said, impulsive decision. Mm. And the justifications that he's offering for it, you know, life just moves and it moves. And it's very vague what he says, right? Yes. You know, he doesn't have a good backup for what he's saying. And I kind of, I think that, to me, that lends some sympathy to the Paul Racer character saying, I can't tolerate this. Well, um, so I agree that he is talking like an addict. And he's making completely unreasonable demands and he's unaware of the unreasonableness of his demands. And can you imagine going up to a complete stranger and asking them for $26,000? Mm. I mean, I, yeah, I think only an addict. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I get that. Um, and I understand uh, the decision to uh, exclude him from the community. Um, I don't understand. I still don't understand the decision to exclude him from the community <laughs> right now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, to not let him stay overnight and leave in the morning and figure out a, a plan, a place to go or whatever. Right. Like mm. I just felt, and actually I also don't, well, I was going to say, I don't believe it. I imagine there are cults or religious sects or, you know, who are so strident, but everything that you've seen about this man so far 
is about his flexibility, his understanding, his acceptance. Not entirely. I mean, part of his thing is you come here, you give up your car keys, you give up your phone, you give up your life to be here. And that's not flexible. No, no, no. I mean, you're confusing here, giving up your phone and giving up your car keys with giving up your life. So, you know, I completely understand why someone, you want the car keys and you want uh, uh, the phone, uh, you know, for a period of adjustment for an addict, because those are the ways that you get stuff. You know, so to me that, that uh, you know, it's completely logical. Um, but it's not flexible. You said he was flexible. I don't think he is flexible. He has to run his community in quite a rigid way. Well, by flexibility, I mean, if you wake up at 5.30, I'll be there with a coffee at 5.30. If you want it at 5, I'll be there at 5. You know, he's dealing with, you know, he's dealing with heroin addicts, mm-hmm. right? I mean, so I, that is, to me, somebody who's very flexible socially, who you know, who's not just dealing with one type of people that has to be so rigid. So he's somebody who gives, you know, who's, who's, who, who, who bends, yeah, who kind of meets you halfway. So that conversation made no sense in terms of the type of person, you know, that kind of you've seen so far. Someone, you know, who had himself been an alcoholic and lost his life and lost his hearing in Vietnam. He must have seen tons of things and many different kinds of people. So to be so black and white at that moment did not make sense to me. and doesn't make sense to me. It, it does make sense to me, I must say. And I do think part of it is that, as you say, he's dealing with addicts. And this is like, you know, I can't let this into this community now. But he'd already been in that community and had done very well in it, right? So... Um, yeah, but that I was mean, before maybe, we made this decision. Yeah, really? yeah, but again, you know, let's be clear. I mean, I'm not arguing necessarily with the need to exclude him from the community. But right now... <laughs> Like, you know, and I think, you know, maybe it's just also, um, you know, my own sense of space as a North American. I mean, if you don't have a car and if you don't have money and if you're in a community hundreds of miles, like mm. in the forest, what the fuck do you do? I mean, that, it just doesn't yeah. sound reasonable to me. No, it's hard. So, yeah. Um, he's a military man I think that's you know <laughs> finding excuses for him <laughs> I've already said I think I've already said that I think um, you know he runs a tight ship there and you know you said oh yeah he'll say, if you wake up at five but the, the thing about waking up at five he says we wake up at five and what you're going to do is sit in a room with nothing except for a pen and paper and you're going to write yeah well you know, no, kind I mean of. that's you know but that's about helping flexible him up to a point uh, uh, that's offering him a way you know, out through inner exploration. Mm. So, uh, anyway, no, no, these can't. are all the, the reasons why the, you know, the, all, this conver- all these conversations just point out the problems in the film, really, because, you know, those should have been evoked both more clearly and more complexly. And actually, if there are those complexities of the characters that none of them are perfect and they have this, all of those gradations, a better director would have made them legible and understandable to you. And this mm. one did not. So, I mean, I think this is a film worth seeing for Rissamet's performance. Which yeah, is the reason is, we saw it. He so. is really good. Yeah. Well, the reason we saw it is because it's Best Picture nominated. Oh, is it Best Picture nominated as well? Yeah. Oh, God. Did you not know why we were watching it? Well, I thought we were watching it because Rissamet had been nominated. No, no, he just happens to have been. Ah, right, okay. <laughs> well, my God, this doesn't deserve its nomination in my view. Mm. Well, not that Oscars mean anything, so... But, well, they mean a bit, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, anyway. actually, the same funny that Ethan Hawke said about the Oscars a few years ago, which I hadn't really thought of before, but it, it, it struck a chord, which was that 
one of the reasons that the Oscars are valuable is because it gives studios something to make films for other than money. Well, that's true. You know, the very idea of a prestige production, a prestige production was one, you know, that uh, might make money, but you kind of expected it to lose money, but it would bring you prestige, mm. yeah, through Oscar nominations or New York Times Critics Reviews or whatever. Yeah, it would make the studio look good, yeah. Mm. Although it is interesting that up, up until maybe 20 years ago, probably up until Titanic, the films that were Oscar nominated also tended to be, or were more often, very successful financially as well. Um, you know, that, I think there was a backlash after Titanic because that got, what, 11 or 12 nominations and obviously record-breaking box office. And people wanted, to, you know, people said, Titanic, rubbish. And I think after that, that's when films... There was, a, there was a much heavier separation between the films that made the money and the films that got the good press. Well, I mean, the thing is, before the digital age anyway, Oscars were a way for films that maybe hadn't been making much money to mm. end up making money because, you know, there would be huge publicity campaigns about which films were Oscar nominated and actually people would go see them because they had been nominated. So, you know, often the grosses... Uh, you know, at the moment of nomination and after, would yeah, it would vary considerably, right? Sure. You know, so there was a financial incentive to being Oscar nominated as well, which is why people like Weinstein would spend so many millions, mm. right? And then that would affect not only the theatrical box office, you know, but like uh, you know, DVD rentals and all mm -hmm. kinds of things. Yeah, to say Oscar nominated, so there was a financial dimension uh, mm. to it as well. Uh, so. You know, it's always interesting to see, well, where did this uh, prestige film, well, you know, what kind of box office was it doing before the nomination and after? Mm. And actually, some of the films that weren't nominated maybe continue to not do very well. Yeah. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's kind of a lot more complex and it varied over time. But definitely, I think in the last, you know, I would say 10 years or, or so, 10, 15 years, the whole value and weight and so on of the Oscars, both in terms of prestige and in terms of box office, have altered. Diminished. Is, is that the word you're yes. avoiding? <laughs> Diminished. Yeah. Well, I mean, this, this year's not going to produce a great one, probably. No. Um, so, anyway... Um, but they are making people go to the awards ceremony, because, you know, the other awards ceremonies, you show up on Zoom... And Jeff Daniels just didn't even put on black tie. Like, all the other people were wearing dresses and tie, black tie and all the rest. And Jeff Daniels just showed up in, like, a lumberjack shirt. <laughs> you know, and just went, fuck it. But the Oscars, none of that. We're special. We're the Oscars. You have to show up. We're having, we're having a special testing tent at the front to make sure you haven't got COVID. But you have to go to the Oscars this year still. Well, you know why that is. I mean, that... It's because they're special. No. And they want you to know they're special. It's because so many industries get so much financial benefit out of that night. So, you know, think of all the clothing designers and all the jewelry designers, yeah? <laughs> you know, placing jewelry on people results in hundreds of millions of dollars of sales for those people, right? So shoes, yeah, like kind of, you know, I mean, there was that special shoe camera where you could see what shoes people are wearing mm. as they go to the Oscars. I mean, that is like, and you know, and an audience of a billion people, yeah, getting all these advertisements for things that often only a small percentage of the population can afford. I mean, who can afford a $100,000 dress? You know, so actually, all of those industries ride on that night. So I'm sure that has more to do with it 
then, or, you know, you could argue that's what makes it special. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah but. Well, that's why I don't go to the Oscars. <laughs> I don't like to buy into any of that. I don't sell out. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's wrap this up. Your, uh, your view on the film as a whole. I liked it, but it is full of problems and really feels like dishonesties that leave a pretty sour taste in the mouth. Riz Ahmed's brilliant, though. Well, in my view, Riz Ahmed is the reason to see the film. Uh, and I do recommend seeing it for that reason. So thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.